Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. Josh here, and today going to be talking about Kyler Murray and his outrageous statement that his agent shared. Then I'm going to talk about the AFC South teams and what they need to do to get back to where they are and take the next step. What do the Titans need to do to get over the hump? The Colts, my top five running backs of 2022. Then I'm going to delve into the NBA and talk about Ja Morant being the real deal right now in the NBA and give you my top five teams in the NBA as well. So let's get started with Kyler Murray and the statement that his agent released saying that he wants to be direct to loyal Arizona Cardinal fans. And he wants two things. One, to be your long-term quarterback. And two, to win the Super Bowl. Saying that in order to compete for championships, they ultimately need to deliver stability for Kyler Murray. Have a contract proposal you know, offered a couple weeks ago. But what do they need to do? They need to sign him to a long-term deal and then also re-sign other deserving teammates and additional free agents to compete for championships, saying it is now simply up to the Cardinals and actions speak louder than words. You know, Kyler remains hopeful that the organization chooses to commit so that he can continue to lead the Cardinals to further success and value for many years to come, saying that he's a two-time Pro Bowler and how they went to a three-win team, uh, to like an eight-win team, and now this past year, a 10 or 11-win team, whatever the heck they were. I mean, are you kidding me? Uh that he would really say that and post that. Uh, To me, Kyler is all about the drama. All about the drama. You remember, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, reports came out about Kyler Murray after he scrubbed his social media, and there was reports, is he a bad teammate, bad leader? All those things, you know, General manager said, no, he's great. We love Kyler. You know, Kyler then posted saying, hey, he doesn't want to be a distraction or anything. He loves Arizona. So he doesn't want to be a distraction or do anything. And then this comes out. You're telling me you don't want to be a distraction, but then you do this. You know what this tells me? That you want to be a distraction. That you like the hoopla. And I don't know why... He will post this because did any of the other great quarterbacks do anything like this? Did Patrick Mahomes, after he win a Super Bowl, send out this huge contract statement saying, this is exactly what I need. I won, won a Super Bowl and did all this. You need to pay me now. No, he didn't handle that way. Did Josh Allen handle it that way? No, he did not. Uh, people... You know, like Kyler, you know, shows that there's a little bit 
of insecurity there. Why? Because you can throw out, you know, little stats to help your case. Two-time Pro Bowler. Oh, he's improved the value of your franchise. But what happened in the biggest moment of the season for Kyler Murray, his first playoff game? He looked so bad. The whole team looked bad. But he had a QBR of 7.9. This is on a scale of 0 to 100. His quarterback rating, 7.9. 137 yards. No touchdowns. Two interceptions. A pick six. He was flat out the worst player on the team. Looked like a deer caught in headlights. He looked bad. The whole second half of the season since he came back from his injury, looked bad. The second half last year looked bad as well after a 6-3 start. So, guess what? You have a losing record as a quarterback for this franchise. So, to me, you're not fully turned anything around yet because you got a losing record. Yes, you made it to two Pro Bowls, but... I don't know how you made it into the Pro Bowl this year when there were other NFC quarterbacks better than you and more deserving. So I put an asterisk next to that one. That's not one I'm high on for Kyler Murray. And then you look at him, his leadership. I don't see him as a vocal leader of the Cardinals as well, especially after what he's doing. I'm not paying Kyler. If I'm the general manager there, I'm the owner. I am not paying Kyler. I'm playing hardball. I'll put your fifth-year option on him where, you know, you get $20 million next year or whatever the case may be. I'm not paying you. I want to see more consistent success from Kyler. And a lot of blame has been placed on Cliff Kingsbury uh, in his, you know, horrible second half of the season. But some of that has to be placed on a quarterback as well. Yes, Cliff deserves some of the blame. But Kyler deserves some of the blame as well. He is the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. And there is no way I'm paying him the Patrick Mahomes type of money of the world, the Josh Allen type of money. What am I going to pay him? I'm going to pay him the Derek Carr kind of money. The Ryan Tannehill, the around $20, $25 million mark. I'm going to pay him there. Ain't no way I'm signing a contract that is $40, $50 million for Kyler Murray. There's no way that's happening uh, at all. The Cardinals would be stupid to sign Kyler to any long-term deal similar to a Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, or Patrick Mahomes. Downright stupid if they were to do that uh, because this team – Needs upgrades in other positions. They do. Defense, the defensive depth, needs to be better, especially stopping the run where they were gashed the final half of the season, really, without J.J. Watt. They need to strengthen the defense, I think, a lot. And then on offense as well, you need a better running back. Uh, it's not James Conner or Chase Edmonds, two, you know, nice players, but not stand out. And then you need a healthy wide receiver. If DeAndre Hopkins, you know, getting injured this year 
on the wrong end of 30, I believe as well. You're going to need to upgrade there. So to me, Kyler is not the answer. I get that he wants to win Super Bowls, but the way this approach worked, you know, I don't like it. Not smart. I'm the Cardinals. I'm not paying Kyler Murray at all. You know, you bring me some success this year, then maybe the deal will be on the table. But I don't get, you know, Kyler entering his fourth year. He's still guaranteed money this year. If they pick up his fifth-year option, it's guaranteed the next year. He's got money on the table. You know, to me, it speaks to the volumes of, hey, I want stability now because I don't know what's coming this year. If I'm the Arizona Cardinals and just as a regular watcher, I do not believe the Cardinals will go 11-6 and six next year. I see them going 9-7 and seven or 9-8, uh, and 8-9. Eight, eight and nine. Now, Kyler has another poor season, you know, second half again. All that does is diminish his value. So if I'm the Cardinals, I'm getting on the phone and trading this guy to some quarterback desperate team like the Denver Broncos and saying, here you go, take him, give me a couple first-round picks, take this you know, guy off my hands, take the stress, take the headache. You can deal with him and paying him if you think he's a guy, but he is not our guy. There's no way I pay Kyler because he's not even a top 10 quarterback in this league. Not top 10. So if he's not top 10, I ain't paying him like he's a top 10 quarterback. Ain't no way I'm doing that to myself. Or to my franchise. Uh, So, Kyler, work on yourself. Work on your game. And next time, don't let your agent release that kind of stuff. Don't think this is going to work out for you. Now moving from one NFC West quarterback to another. Kyler Murray, now Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, yet again, affirming his love for Seattle that, you know, you know, he's from Richmond, you know, East Coast guy. A lot of talk about him going from, you know, the state of Washington to Washington, D.C. and the commanders, but says he loves Seattle and loves being there. What is there to love about Seattle? Russell Wilson is a great quarterback, a top 10 quarterback. And what is there to love about Seattle? Because I don't see anything there that I love. Uh, Now I could talk, maybe he likes rain and he likes kind of the cloudy weather and all that. Maybe he does. But I thought Russell, you know, once upon a time, you know, said, you know, I play to win championships. I want to have six rings just like Jordan. Guess what? You're stuck at one. You haven't been to the Super Bowl uh, going on eight years now, or seven, eight years. You haven't won a playoff game in three years. Uh, and you only have a couple playoff wins since that last Super Bowl appearance. So you're on a team's on a downward decline. You're still a great quarterback, but your team is on a downward decline. Your coach as well, to me, 
isn't as bright as he used to be. And I just don't know what there is to love about Seattle. What is there to love about not having an offensive line to block for you the past five years where you're constantly getting hit, sacked, and this year it finally caught up to you to where Aaron Donald busted up your finger because your offensive line can't protect you. Is it fun taking that punishment, Russell? Is that what you love? What about your running game? Used to have beast mode. Marshawn Lynch, one of the better running backs in the NFL. Used to have that. Now you have no semblance of a running game at all. You've been one of the worst rushing teams in the league uh, the past two years now, where you used to be uh, one of the best. uh, And it used to be your staple. You are no longer there using makeshift uh, running games with Chris Carson or Rashad Penny. No true starter back there. Then your weapons. Your best weapon is Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf had a breakout year, you know, a year ago. Wasn't much of a factor this year. So you got two weapons. Tyler Lockett's better than DK to me. They're both not top 10 wide receivers. So you don't even have a top 10 receiving core in the league. You know, tight end doesn't expire confidence. You don't have a third wide receiver at all. So what is there to love about any of that on the offense? Then on the defensive side, what is there to love? A team that was bottom five in defense in yards per game, passing yards per game, absolutely got torched. They were the second worst pass defense in the league. They've got no secondary. The Legion of Boom is gone. Uh, It's gone. Allowed 265 yards over the air. They were that bad. So this defense isn't that good. So what is there to love? Please tell me, Russell, what there is that is attracting you to stay to Seattle. I can tell somebody I love them all they want, all I want. But why do I love them? Do I tell somebody why they love them? Because you haven't told anybody why you love Seattle. You say, I love Seattle, but why do you love Seattle? Is it the poorest defense? Is it the offensive line that cannot block for you at all? Is it the running game that's non-existent? Is it the wide receiver core that's just all right? What is there to love? Is it a coach that is focused on defense and running the football and can't do either of those things at the moment? Please, Russell, inform us what is there to love about Seattle? Do you really think you're going to win any championships there? I don't think so. I think the more time he spends in Seattle, the more it comes to a realization that he will never be at another Super Bowl in his career. I don't think there's anything to love about Seattle. I'm Russell Wilson. I'd be getting out right away. I'd be on the next ticket to the Washington Commanders or the Denver Broncos, any team that wants a quarterback. 
take me. I don't want to be in Seattle anymore because there is nothing to love about the Seattle Seahawks anymore. Now jumping from yet another quarterback to another in Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. What does Aaron Rodgers like? He likes security. What do I mean by that? He likes Green Bay. I think he's going to stay in Green Bay. It's been reported that he's going to negotiate a short-term deal that's worth a lot of money. Because he likes security. He likes the money uh, security. He likes his secure place in Green Bay. Where he's been the franchise quarterback for so long. And he doesn't have to deal with anything new. He likes having a good offensive line that protects for him. A nice security blanket. And he's got his security wide receiver there. In Aaron Rodgers. And I mean in Devontae Adams. But why else does Aaron Rodgers like security? Well, he likes to play with the lead. That way, his stats look inflated, the wins look inflated, everything looks inflated. Because he's never been a come-from-behind sort of guy that'll lead your team uh, to a comeback win. Because, you know, that's not secure at that point. The lead's not safe. He has to come from behind and win which is something he has never done consistently throughout his career. You look at his playoff games where they need a come-from-behind drive to win the game or to tie the game. Aaron Rodgers, can you deliver for us? And he simply can't. He can't win from behind like Tom Brady is accustomed to doing in almost every Super Bowl he's been in, like Matthew Stafford has done in his career. He cannot play from behind, and lead his team to victory. He'll do the championship belt on you uh, and say, I own you, up by 10, up by 20. But when you come from behind, Aaron Rodgers does not do that in Green Bay. So if I'm Green Bay, why am I paying him $50 million? I'm already in a bad salary cap position. I'm trying to convert all these, you know, uh, salaries to signing bonuses to save room. Um, Colin Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones. Hey, we need to renegotiate a little bit to make room for Aaron Rodgers. Well, well, what's the ceiling for this Packers team? It's not Super Bowl contention. Everybody likes to say Aaron Rodgers' best bet to win a Super Bowl is still in Green Bay. Well, have you ever thought to realize that maybe, just maybe, Aaron Rodgers won't make it to another Super Bowl, that he's just not that guy. Yes, he's a talented quarterback, has the arm, has the arm strength. But if he's that delusional to stay in Green Bay, then jokes on Green Bay for sure. Because I've seen enough of Aaron Rodgers in big moments, in big games. Anybody can win regular season games. Anybody can win the NFC North. It's not that great. Greatness comes from your postseason play. And has he been great in the postseason? No, he has not. Has he been great in big games? No, he has not. You know, I can look at and just think of multiple games 
that, you know, Peyton Manning had, you know, that were just great. Uh, and Tom Brady had, that were just great. I can't think of a lot of games for Aaron Rodgers and think, wow, he was just that great. I can do Peyton Manning, Tom Brady a lot easier than I can do Aaron Rodgers. So Green Bay Packers will probably be dumb enough to pay Aaron Rodgers all that money, confine them even more in this salary cap era, and watch them not win a Super Bowl yet again because they are tied to Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is tied to Green Bay. Now moving on to the AFC South teams in the NFL and what they need to advance, get better this year. Starting off with the division winners, the Tennessee Titans. What do they need to do? They were the number one seed in the AFC and lost in their first playoff game a divisional round to the Cincinnati Bengals. What do they need to do to get back to the number one seed, but to make it to a Super Bowl? What do they need to do? They need to upgrade at quarterback. Simple as that. This team has everything in place. Everything that a great quarterback could want. They have the best running back in Derrick Henry. They have a great wide receiver group in uh, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. A decent offensive line. In a defense, that was a lot better this year than it has been in years past. A defense that was ascending. Tevin Byard anchored the secondary and safety group back there. You had all, all first-time All-Pro and Simmons at the defensive line uh, as well. A defense that could get after a quarterback and rush for. They had it all this year. But what did they not have? A competent quarterback. If Joe Burrow was on this Titans team, they probably win the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes on this Titans team, they probably win the Super Bowl. Lasting memory I have of this Titans performance is how bad Ryan Tannehill was in that playoff game where he threw three interceptions, one to open up the first play of the game, one to open up the second half, and one late in the fourth quarter where he was just marginally better than Kyler Murray with a quarterback rating of 10.3. That's how bad Ryan Tannehill is. If I'm the Tennessee Titans, and I've got players like Derrick Henry in my prime, A.J. Brown ascending and getting very good defense, I'm not wasting my time with Ryan Tannehill, who, simply put, is not that guy. I ain't wasting my time uh, the next three years trying to figure it out with Ryan Tannehill, well, Ryan jo- Julio Jones will no longer be there. Derrick Henry will no longer be in his prime. Same with Kevin Byard. This defense, I ain't wasting my time. I'm winning. I'm winning now. I'm the Tennessee Titans. I don't have a historic franchise of winning Super Bowls. They just don't have that. I'm the Tennessee Titans. So what do I want to do? I want to maximize my talent and maximize it. Now, with a coach who won Coach of Year, Vrabel, who's excellent, what do they need to do? Get a real quarterback, and maybe you'll win the Super Bowl. Much better chance than Ryan Tannehill. 
Indianapolis, what about them? Same thing, quarterback. Why, you've got a great running back in Jonathan Taylor, the best running back of this past year of this season with Derrick Henry being out. A defense, you know, that I thought was middle of a pack, but true playmakers, Darius Leonard, one of the best linebackers in the game uh, for sure. But they need a quarterback because Carson Wentz, again, in the biggest moments of the season, came up short. I can't have that. I can't have that. I need to win one of my final two games. And against the Raiders, against the Raiders, I lose 23-20. to 20. Carson Wentz throws for 148 yards, one touchdown, 27.9 uh, quarterback rating. That's unacceptable. But then I have a chance to play the worst team in the league, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Surely nothing can go wrong there. It's the Jaguars. We'll beat them. Carson Wentz, can you deliver for us this time, please? It's one game, and it's against Jacksonville. What does Carson Wentz do? He says, I, I'm a head out. And he heads out all right, throwing 185 yards in the interception, took six sacks, and had a quarterback rating of 4.3. Let me read that again. 4.3. Again, Carson Wentz, good most of the season. Just acceptable most of the season until those final few games. I can't have that. That's unacceptable. For me to perform that poorly in those final two games cost my team a playoff spot. Yeah, if I was Jim Irsay too, uh, owner of the Colts, I'd be pretty ticked about what Carson Wentz did to my team. What did he do? Basically hijacked. My team's playoff chances hijacked it, just ruined it, you know, killed it, whatever you want to say. That's what Carson Wentz did. You're not winning a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. The Eagles won it with Nick Foles, won Super Bowl MVP. That's Carson Wentz. We never saw Carson Wentz in a big game that season. We've seen him come up short this year, so he is not the answer. He'll give you acceptable quarterback play. But when you need him to really step up, what he'll do, remember the 4.3 QBR. That is what he'll do. Houston, what do they need? Houston has a lot of problems. But I'm going to keep on the same thread here in the AFC South. Quarterback. Yes, your biggest question mark is Deshaun Watson who once upon a time was a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Now he's nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard of. Who knows what's going on with any of those allegations or, you know, cases going on against him. I haven't heard anything in a while. But he still wants out, still doesn't want to play with the Houston Texans. So, Mom, Houston, I'm still looking to trade him. And in the meantime, I have to evaluate a quarterback that I want in the draft or in free agency. Because guess what? In order to improve and win games, I'm still going to need a quarterback. Tyrod Taylor is not that guy. Davis Mills also, I do not believe, is that guy. 
Now, you can evaluate them all you want. You can keep them on another year or two. But I definitely get another guy to push that quarterback room, uh, battle it out, because you just hand Davis Mills that job. Uh, you're looking at 4-13, and 5-12 and 12 for the foreseeable future until you get a quarterback. Now, Houston, they need a lot of things. They need offensive line. They need defense. They need so much. They need, like, a real structure, you know, organizational structure. But figuring out what to do with Deshaun Watson at this point is the big key concern for this team. And then Jacksonville, the worst team in the league two years in a row. What did the 3-14 and 14 Jags need to do to get past that and no longer be the worst team in the league? Well, they need offensive line help uh, because Car- or, my bad, Trevor Lawrence was sacked a lot this year. Uh, offensive line wasn't good. So they need to improve that because he has sacked 32 times uh, under duress a lot through 17 interceptions, tied for Matthew Stafford for, you know, most in the league there uh, regular season-wise, only threw for 12 touchdowns, quarterback rating of 33, which was 28. So Trevor Lawrence is my guy. He's the one I drafted with the first overall pick. What do I need to do? I need to protect him. Don't want him to get hurt. So get out there. Get offensive line. Yes, you know, they could spend it on wide receivers or whatever the case may be to help improve his game. See if, hey, we can get him a number one wide receiver and have a connection like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, viscerally on. But I think with him, I'd play it safe, get an offensive line to where at least I can run the ball as well open up play action with Trevor Lawrence. I think that would help a lot. I've been trying to gamble on a number one wide receiver like Jamar Chase earlier in this draft, especially the first pick. Uh, I think I play it safe. I get the offensive line. I help out Trevor Lawrence that way. And then look at receiver later, maybe in free agency. So that's what's needed in the AFC South. You need a couple of quarterback changes. And then you need an O-line as well. Now, I'm going to go to my top five running backs of 2022. Now, I'm just going to say this, or my bad, of 2021, and I'm just going to say this real quick, is I did not have Derrick Henry eligible uh, because he did miss half of the season, so his name will not be included in this list, even if, to me, I still feel he's the best running back you know, the past two or three years, just this past year, I'm declaring him ineligible since he missed half of the season. And somebody I just thought who was great this year, sitting at number five, rookie Najee Harris was tremendous this year. Uh, led the league in touches as a rookie. They got the ball. In his hands, he had 307 attempts, which was second most in the league. He had 1,200 yards, averaged 3.9 yards per carry, 
behind a bad offensive line as well. Had seven touchdowns as well. And what did he not do? He did not fumble while running the football. Najee Harris, I thought, was tremendous. And then in the passing game as well, he also did some damage. He had uh, 74 receptions for 467 yards, uh, three touchdowns as well. So he became a sort of do-it-all player for the Pittsburgh Steelers where you can run it with him. But Big Ben also liked to throw to him in the screen game and in the short passing game as well. Najee Harris was a threat anytime he had the ball in his hands. Tremendous rookie season for Najee. Number four, Joe Mixon. Again, 1,200 yards this year on 292 carries. Missed a game, so could have had more. Could have been in second place, I believe, as well since he averaged around 75 yards per game. Uh, 13 touchdowns, uh, third most rushing touchdowns, or fourth most rushing touchdowns this year. And when you think of the Cincinnati Bengals, you think of the passing game with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase this year. That's all you think of. But Joe Mixon quietly had a great year for a running back. It's not often you have a quarterback throw for 4,000, almost 5,000 yards. And you have a running back rush for 1,200 yards. So Joe Mixon, even behind this porous offensive line, found some holes and ways to carve up opposing defenses. He was a great running back this year. Number three, Dalvin Cook. I know he missed a few games, but he was great in the 13 games that he played. Uh, almost at 1,200 yards right there. Uh, had 89 yards per game. Uh, just great to me. Has the best vision in the NFL as well. Uh, had six touchdowns this year, but also this year as well. I thought he was a little bit more of a receiving threat than he was in uh, past years. So that definitely helped uh, this year. You know, he had 224 yards, you know, receiving as well. Uh, so again, check down to Dalvin Cook. Definitely helps your team out to be able to do things in multiple areas, and that's what Dalvin Cook does. Number two, Nick Chubb, uh, another running back who I just thought was fantastic, is a workhorse of the uh, Cleveland Browns. Had 1,259 yards, and he missed three games this year, but averaged 89.9 yards per game. You know, just terrific year for Nick Chubb in general, who could have done more damage if he played more. But this guy, physical, big running back who can squat 500 pounds for reps, uh, it's hard to tackle Nick Chubb is he's one of the best running backs in the league and had, you know, eight touchdowns this year. But who was number one? It was Jonathan Taylor, hands down the best running back in the league by far. Uh, had 1,800 yards, 600 more than Nick Chubb and anybody else 
332 attempts. He was a workhorse at 106 and a half yards per game, led the league in rushing touchdowns at well at 18. Jonathan Taylor was the true uh, three-down back for this team, and he also had 360 yards receiving, uh, which knocked his total yards from scrimmage to over 2,000 yards. Jonathan Taylor was that guy averaging five and a half yards per carry on all those rushing attempts. Just special uh, this year. Let me tell you, he helped me a lot out in fantasy uh, this year. He was that guy. Uh, and he broke the roof open. And he kind of masked a lot of Carson Wentz airs this season because he was so good uh, every single game. And Jonathan Taylor, just hands down, best running back in the league. But we'll see how this changes. When Derrick Henry is back fully healthy, you know, he was averaging 117 yards per game. He was on pace to break the rushing record. We'll see if he does that in his first fully fully healthy season. I'm looking forward to seeing Elijah Mitchell. In a bigger role, he was eighth, you know, in rushing yards this season. He had a high uh, yard total of 87 and a half yards per game. We'll see him uh, more this season, hopefully. So running back situation, I think, is looking good uh, for the NFL. Now moving on to the NBA. And specifically, first off, talking about John Morant where Ja Morant is that guy. He is electric. He's a showstopper. And I kind of just turn on highlights to see Ja Morant. And that's what he did last night. He put on a highlight reel show all by himself when he dropped 52 points uh, broke his own record, you know, a couple nights ago. He just had 46. Well, he scored 52 on 22 of 30 shooting. And what did he do? Well, he hit like a logo three with the clock running down. He absolutely postered Jakob Patel uh, in what could have been the just best dunk of the year. And then he could have had a play of the year. Steven Adams heave at half court and beat the buzzer where he's still kind of jumping and just flicks it with his wrist into the net. And John Morant, just electric. Uh, And the great thing is he does a lot of his damage inside the paint as well. Uh, This team is up there, you know, leading the league in terms of points scored in the paint. John Morant's a big factor because he can weave his way into the paint uh, and just carve up defenses. John Morant is that special. He's kind of the all-you-can-do point guard. He has the, you know, athleticism of a prime Russell Westbrook where it's just attack downhill, but he also has the Handles the stopping ability, you know, like a Kyrie Irving finisher, uh, Allen Iverson type player. I mean, he has the best attributes 
of every point guard into one player. That's John Morant. But one attribute I won't put in is Steph Curry's shooting ability. But if he keeps hitting logo threes like he did last night, hits them with more consistency, you know, he could stake the claim as best point guard right now in the NBA. Because to me, he's right there at number two. He's right behind Steph Curry. John Morant has just been sensational this year with this Grizzlies team. And not only is he playing great and leading his team, uh, but they're also winning games, which is just as equally important. Uh, John Morant is that guy, is an MVP consideration, is a top five MVP candidate this year, is a top 10 player in the NBA. And the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be a tough out come playoff time, anyone they face because of Ja Morant. What else happened in the world of the NBA? Well, the Bucks rebounded. I thought they would beat the Hornets, and they did. Uh, gave it to them last night, you know, after sort of a closer uh, first quarter. Turned it on in the second quarter, outscoring them by double. Uh, in a great team effort all around. You, you led by Giannis with 26 points, but Bobby Portis past couple of games has been phenomenal, especially from three-point. You know, he had 20 points uh, last night, which was third most on the team. If Bobby Portis can contribute like that, this can help this team a lot. Ease the pain of Brooks Lopez because who knows when he'll come back. Impact Connaughton. They need Pop Bobby Portis. Uh, to be that kind of guy and be that great while other players are sending out. And that's only going to help him too in this team. When other players do come back, it's going to make the Milwaukee Bucks an even tougher out. So great win by the Milwaukee Bucks. What else is happening? Well, the Nets don't have to worry after they just got walloped last night by the Toronto Raptors. And, you know, there was no Fred Van Fleet in that game either. Uh, Scotty Barnes just decided to go off on this team. But Nets have more good news because Kyrie Irving, you know, I believe in a couple weeks will be able to play home games with the New York vaccine mandate lifted. And let me tell you, they need it. They need it because yesterday got killed by the Raptors. What happens? They get to play the Raptors again tonight on a back-to-back, which is tough to do because the Nets walloped you. Kyrie Irving will return since it's an away game this time, but the schedule gets brutal. You're going to play the Heat. You're going to have no Kyrie. I'll take that as an L. You're going to play the Celtics. The Celtics have demolished you lately. Take that L. Hornets are playing good. I'll put that as a toss-up. 76ers. Ben Simmons likely, for some reason, won't be back by then, or KD. Uh, I'll take that as an L. Then you play the Knicks, no Kyrie for that game. Then against the Magic, you'll get Kyrie back full-time from there. But then you play the Mavs, the Jazz, he again. Bucks, KD comes back, but you still have to play the Hawks, the Cavs. I mean, this is a tough schedule. I mean, I know we're talking a lot about the Lakers and how bad they are in that they're a play-in team. Uh, with the, you know, 
expectations that they had. Well, Brooklyn Nets, not doing much better than the Lakers right now. Lakers are the ninth seed in the play-in. Brooklyn's the eighth seed in the play-in, and they're playing just as bad. They've lost seven of their past 10 games, and they only have like three wins in their past 20 games, just as bad as the Lakers. So to me, the Nets are still in some serious trouble this year. Now, I'm going to give you my top five teams in the NBA. And number five is the Philadelphia 76ers. James Harden never looked great in Brooklyn. He had a few stretches of greatness there, but never looked comfortable in that scheme. Well, in Philly, this absolutely looked scary. Uh, They wanted to tout scary hours in Brooklyn. Never came into fruition. And I know it's a two-game sample size. It's small. But it's looking like scary hours in Philadelphia. This team looks good. You got Joel Embiid, who to me is the MVP frontrunner this year. This year, top five player in the league. And you had James Harden, who I thought going into this year was a top five player. And if he's playing like this, this team is scary. Uh, to play because you've got two guys who absolutely dominate the paint and go to the line often in James Harden and Joel Embiid, and they both make their free throws. So you've got that uh, going for them right there. you got two top ten players. you got Tyrese Maxey, who is a tremendous point guard for them. Now with Joel Embiid and James Harden taking up so much space, Tyrese Maxey just has open three after open three, and if he's knocking down those shots, say goodnight because you've got Thibel playing great defense in that lineup. Tobias Harris, who can still carve it up. I mean, this team is scary. And you get Milton kind of coming back into the lineup. You sign DeAndre Jordan as a backup center. This team, a lot to like about this 76er team who are on a three-game winning streak right now. Number four, the Miami Heat. To me, still the class of the Eastern Conference with the best record on a four-game winning streak. They've won nine out of their past ten games as well. And they recently just beat the Heat. And what can I say? This team, everything functions well on this team. Jimmy Butler does what he does, Bam on a bio as well. Uh, Kyle Lowry has been out, but they've still been winning. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, sixth man right there, has been playing great. P.J. Tucker, give it to you defensively. We saw what he did last year with the Milwaukee Bucks, helping them win a championship. So the Heat, to me, to me great team, great defense, great coach in Spolstra. Uh, this Miami Heat team, it's going to be a tough out. For any team they play, I look at the big three there in the East with Miami, the 76ers, and the Bucks. You know, this is going to be a fun race, and to me, is a more top heavy East. Number three, the Golden State Warriors. They were two for so long and finally dropped a spot because they've been just 500 in their past 10 games. 
great defensive team, one of the best in the league, but struggled lately and struggled shooting lately in crazy droughts. And when I'm watching that game against the Mavericks where they're down, you know, Warriors are up 21 points or something. They're up 19 in the fourth quarter. You only score 13 points in the fourth quarter. That's all you can muster. You come up short in that. Steph Curry misses two free throws. Uh, you don't miss no two free throws. And Jay just looked lost. You know, Clay Thompson in and out of the lineup. Dream on Green's been out. They need to get chemistry, get their players back. Then they can do some damage. Well, who's number two? Well, that's the Memphis Grizzlies. Who's won eight of their past ten? Well, John Morant has been absolutely spectacular. This whole team has been spectacular behind him. Desmond Bain supporting him. Jaron Jackson as well. Melton, uh, as I said, wait till they get Dylan Brooks back. It'll make this team even better, the chemistry there. It's going to be scary. I think right now Memphis has a legitimate shot to pass Golden State to be the second seed and have guaranteed home court for the first two rounds. And I think they want that because they get a better draw. Uh, on Memphis, I'm looking at Dallas or Denver in the first round. I don't want that. I want a play-in team. I want the Clippers or the Timberwolves in the first round. Break the brooms out for the first round by playing a play-in team, which is huge because the middle of the West can still give you some problems there with the Jazz, the Mavs, and the Nuggets. Number one is still the Phoenix Suns, solely based on record now at this point. The loss of Chris Paul has hurt this team uh, in their past two games where they've dropped two in a row to the Pelicans and to the Jazz. Uh, But Devin Booker in that time has been good. He's going to have to step up even more, play more of that point guard role uh, and orchestrate this team. So a lot's going to be asked on him. And it's going to do two things. It's going to make you even better or it's going to make you even worse. Those are your only two options at this point. And we'll see how this plays out. But before that, they were on an eight-game winning streak. But this team has the best record. They're six games ahead of everybody. Don't see the lead slipping there at all. I think they have a nice cushion. It stays that way. I'll leave them at number one for now. So those are my top five teams in the NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers, the Miami Heat, the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Phoenix Suns. Now tonight I'm going to pick two games. The first, the Hawks and the Celtics. I'm picking the Celtics to win this game. Uh, Boston's defense lately has been great. You know, this season it's been really good. I mean... Opponents over their last 10 games have averaged just 100 points and 48% from the field. Uh, I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, they've 8-2. and two, They've scored 115.2 points. Hawks, although Trey Young's been playing great, they've scored a lot of points. So it's going to be a battle here. However, Atlanta, defensively, not that good. Well, Boston is elite. Because of that, I'm taking the defense of Boston, kind of how they're rising, playing better lately than the Hawks. I know Trey Young's going to be a problem, but I like Jason Tatum in this game. I like the Celtics to win this game tonight. 
And then I have to talk about the Lakers again because they have a primetime game. And I feel like, you know, I wrote off the Lakers as I'm not going to talk about them. But they have all these primetime games. So I'm forced to watch the Lakers on TNT and ABC and ESPN. I mean, it's every night they have a primetime game. They have a primetime game tonight. They have another one in two days. Then another one on Saturday. And next week, they got one on Friday and Sunday. I mean, they just have primetime games after primetime game. And frankly, it's just pathetic because, of course, I'm picking the Mavericks to win. Lakers are just that bad. I don't care about a DJ Augustine sign and waving DeAndre Jordan. Nothing can fix this team. Now, LeBron's been great. He's been great. Scoring the third most points in the league, 29 points per game. Efficient as all can be. 52% from the field and a high efficiency rating at fourth in the league. He's that guy. But when no one else on the team is living up to the part, well, guess what? I can't take, uh, you know, what they're doing at all, where they've lost 14 of their past 20 games. Because Luka, he's also that guy. He's great, but he's got a better supporting cast around him. Jalen Brunson uh, can play. I know they got rid of Chris Porzingis, but I do like Brunson a lot in this lineup. Uh, and I think the Mavericks are just going to overpower the Lakers. And everybody is taking their turn on the Lakers. I feel like the Lakers are a pinata. And everybody, you know, it's not just the one quick hit stick. It is everybody has a turn with the pinata. And they're beating, you know, the tar out of the Lakers. It's just one brutal swing after another. And, you know, the Lakers can't be officially knocked out yet until you know, middle of April in the play, and that's when they can officially have the final knockout punch. It's just going to be a slow, steady, 12-round, terrible knockout in the 12th round. That's how bad it is. It's how bad watching them. Now that, you know, the Lakers players are arguing with the fans, it's come that low that you're griping with the fans now. I mean, nothing is going well for the Lakers, and nothing will go well tonight for the Lakers and I know they'll surprise me. They surprised me a couple of weeks ago against the Jazz when Aaron Donald came into the house. Maybe Aaron Donald has to come in more to the house. But Lakers, not that team. I ain't picking them tonight. Then moving on to the MLB, extending their trade or their uh, deadline to get a deal done by today. Uh, Will there be no opening day? I mean, hopefully, you know, they come to a resolution and can play opening day. Because to me, if they don't play opening day and you're sacrificing all those games, casual fans of the MLB like me aren't going to care. They're not going to turn their attention to the MLB when uh, NBA playoffs are going underway, NHL playoffs will go underway. Casual fans will turn their attention to another sport of concern or a TV show or something to fill, fill their void with MLB not turning there. So they need to get it done because MLB, they have great players. They got Bryce Harper, Shohei Otani, uh, Tatis, DeGrom, uh, Scherzer, Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, John Carlos Stanton. They've got great players in the MLB right now, but no one will care about any of them if they don't play the game of baseball. And then 
in college basketball this past weekend, you had the top six or seven teams lose this past weekend. So eight people kind of stayed the same. Gonzaga won, Arizona two again, which I'm fine with, you know, only three losses. I thought Duke should have been ahead of Baylor. It makes sense because they had more first-place votes. than Baylor won less loss as well. I thought so, but everything else I was sort of fine with, you know, keeping it strong, just moving everyone down. But tonight, there's two big college basketball games on, there's actually three, uh, Providence and Villanova is a big one. And you've got, which is 9 and 11. you got a top 10 matchup on Purdue and Wisconsin. I think the Badgers are going to win that game. Uh, Badgers win that. They kind of lock up the Big Ten because they're the only one with one game clear. Purdue drops two games behind them. This is a big game. It's in Wisconsin. I do think the Badgers get the win tonight uh, behind Johnny Davis, who is just the do-it-all player uh, for Wisconsin. And then you've got Arizona and USC on as well. Arizona suffered a surprising loss. USC eked out a win. And this is big because Arizona wins this game. They clinch the Pac-12 number one spot. But they lose this. It still opens it up for USC and Arizona to tie, and USC could still presumably jump them for the number one spot. It'd be difficult still, even if Arizona loses out and USC wins out. But it can still happen. I think USC wins this game. They're the underdog. Benedict Mothran has been great for Arizona this season. They've got good shooting, but Isaiah Mobley, Fantastic player. I think he'll be up for the challenge uh, to guard anybody on the perimeter and the paint. I think USC pulls off the upset in this game. I like their defense a tad more than Arizona. I think they get the win tonight. And they've just been the hotter team as well recently, even though their margins of victory have been close. You know, a lot of those wins do mean a lot for the morale of your team, just winning as well. So I like USC to win this game. So what do you think? Do you think Kyler Murray should get an extension from the Arizona Cardinals? Yes or no? Talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.